You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Well, good morning, everyone. We are so glad that you're spending time with us today here at Kensington Church. Whether you're in person or you're watching online, we're just glad that you're here. So we're going to sing a little bit this morning, and we're getting ready to head into the season of Easter, and this song's going to set that up a little bit. Um, but we're going to bring the energy this morning, so I wanted to give you fair warning. You know, first service, maybe they were coming in and half asleep, still getting their coffee, and we didn't want them to be too shocked, but we want to make sure that you guys are ready for some energy this morning. You guys ready? Oh, yeah, you guys are ready, too. That's awesome. So go ahead and stand with us, and we're going to get started here. Then you know 
you guys sound amazing this morning. Before you sit down, I want you to say hi to someone in whatever way you're comfortable, and we'll continue on with the service. Hey, good morning, everybody. You guys all awake after that? Fantastic. It's hard to be, it's hard not to be after a song like that that infuses that much energy into the room. But hey, if we haven't met, my name is Andrew Kim, one of the leaders here at the Troy campus, and I want to say welcome to all of you here in the room. For those of you who are joining us via stream, welcome again. Grateful that you are with us as well. And one of the things that I love about that song is that it celebrates life change and the new life that we have in Jesus. But at the same time, we not only celebrate it with this song, we're also going to be celebrating it in just a few short weeks with baptism. And baptism services are some of my favorite services that we do here at Kensington. And what baptism is, is that when somebody is baptized, there's nothing magical that happens in the water. But really, at the core of baptism is that it's an external symbol of an internal reality. Is that when somebody enters into the water, it represents the fact that their old life, before they knew Jesus, that is gone and that is dead. And when they come up out of the water, it symbolizes the fact that they have new life that we have new life in Jesus. And so if you are a Jesus follower and you have never, ever been baptized, we would love for you to consider taking that step. Our baptism services are gonna be happening on May 1st, and you can find out more information and you can register at the website kensingtonchurch.org forward slash baptism. You can also go to the app. And for those of us here in the room, we can also go out to the lobby and drop by the hub and you'll see people with orange shirts on there and they would love to answer any questions that we have. Also, as we speak right now, something really exciting is happening on the third floor, really for the first time ever. And so to tell us more about that, Mervet, love for her to join me. Can we give Mervet Deno a hand? Thanks, Mervet. And Mervet, you have been instrumental in really spearheading this and making this a reality. So I'd love for you to tell us more about what's happening. Yeah, um, yeah, very exciting news today. So, um, hey. So, uh, we are... Uh about seven years ago, I don't know, eight years ago, if you, any of you, if you, most of you were here, um, Steve Andrews went to the country of Kuwait, little country at the bottom of Iraq, and he experienced a church experience that blew his mind, right? There were all these uh, people gathering in this complex of churches that were worshiping God in different, in different languages. There was, a, there was a church that was from India, there was one from Pakistan, there was one from England, there was, and they were all in the same complex worshiping God, and he came back to, to here and said, what if we could do that. What if we could be that person? And a few things came out of that. There was a Chinese church that met here for a while, and then now they launched their own church. Our Brazilian partners are still here. They meet during 11 o'clock service. And today, starting today, a new church is formed uh, called Christ Holy Telugu Church. So this church uh, really started out as just a gathering about four years ago. Ramesh Sapkota, who's our global partner in Nepal, came to Michigan to take a time of rest. And, and of course, Steve Andrews said, don't rest. What if we can just gather, what does it look like to gather our South Asian community in the area? We have a ten, like 12,000 people from, in, around, from India who speak Telugu in this area. What if, what if we gather that? So uh, Ramesh started walking Myers at night and listening for 
people speaking in other languages from that area of the world. He started listening and inviting them over for dinner. So that started the um, South Asian Telugu, based around food, uh, really good food. And they started meeting every single Saturday night here at Kensington um, until COVID. And when COVID hit, they went remote on Zoom. And uh, Ramki, who our leader, he actually took over after Ramesh went back to Nepal. And then just at the end of the year, Ramki came to us and said, we wanna come back to Kensington, but we wanna come back in a, in a form of a church on Sundays. And the purpose of that is to reach the Telugu speaking community from India in the area. There's about 12,000 in Troy alone. And starting today, actually right now at 10.30, they started the Christ Holy Telugu Church. So, this is definitely a dream come true, Howard, moving to an intercultural community, and it's something we've been praying for. Danny Cox was part of that. Steve Andrews was part of that. All of our team has been part of that. And now our K-Kids during 11 o'clock service have uh, kids from our Telugu community, as well as our Brazilian community, as well as your children. So this is a huge celebration for us. Yeah. Yes. And then now we'll... Pray. Yeah, we wanted to pray. And so this really is a part of our vision, as Mervet mentioned, that our seats would look more like our city and that we have thousands of Telugu-speaking people in this community that we want to be able to reach. And this church is a part of that vision and that mission. And so would you join us in prayer as we pray for this community? Lord, we are grateful that we can partner, Lord, with Ramesh and now Ramki. God, thank you for their leadership. Thank you for their heart, Lord. And even as I drop by, Lord, today, just being able to see all of these people gathered in this room, it truly is something that is beautiful, God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use this community in such a powerful way to reach the Telugu-speaking people, Lord, not just in Troy, but in the surrounding region, God, that they would hear your message of love and be drawn to you and have their lives transformed. And so we are grateful, God, that we can come together in this way as your church. And so we pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, something else that we want to let you all know about that's happening in two weeks is Easter. It's crazy. That's just around the corner. And so to give us all sort of a heads up as to the journey that we are going to be on that weekend, we'd love for you to check out this video. In the weak light of early morning, Jesus carried his heavy cross step by step toward the hill where he would spend his final hours and take his last breath. He would utter these shocking words. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Which would reach the ear of a centurion soldier, one whose job was to see him crucified. Those words would change his life forever. That same day, a religious leader, once suspicious and troubled by Jesus, would risk his position to take the body of Jesus. The lifeless body intended for the trash heap would instead be wrapped tenderly with fine linen and placed in a tomb fit for a king. How was this religious leader's heart and mind so completely changed? Mary went to Jesus' tomb with heavy steps and a grief-stricken soul, bringing spices to anoint Jesus' body. She would see the empty tomb and her heavy feet would become light as she ran to tell the others. That same day, two men walked away from the very one they had called Messiah and King. They would journey away from Jerusalem with backs turned on their dashed hopes. They would doubt their king who lay in a tomb in his kingdom that never came to be. But on the road, they would learn that their king was alive again. 
in a span of just three days, everything changed for everyone. And so we would love for you to join us for Good Friday as well as Easter. We're going to be having two Good Friday services and five Easter services, two on that Saturday and three on that Sunday. And you can get your free tickets on our website, on our our app, and a lot have already gone out. And so we're expecting a big, hopefully, a lot of people will come and a lot of people will tune in via stream as well. But something else that we want to challenge and invite all of us to do is not just to come and to watch, but also to invite somebody to come and watch with us. And hopefully to make this a little bit easier on our way out, for those of us here in the room, we're going to be receiving just a handful of these. And these are invitations. And we'd love for you to be thinking about somebody that you can invite along to come with you. And that could be a family member, friend, neighbor, somebody you work out with, coworker, whoever that person is. We'd love that person to come alongside and to really be able to hear the life-transforming message of Jesus as well. And if you were here with us last weekend, last weekend was a really, really special weekend because we had an opportunity to meet our final senior pastor candidate. And his name is Craig Springer. And we had an opportunity to meet him, his wife, Sarah, as well as their two children, Isabel, as well as Isaiah. And so it was really, really great for us at Troy because they were here live in person. And so for many of us, we had an opportunity also when they were out in the lobby to see them, to say hello, to shake their hands and to have a brief conversation with them. And as we look into the future, I am so hopeful as to this next segment of the journey that we are going to be on as a Kensington community. So what we wanted to do right now is we want to also hear from some of our other campus leaders and what they are thinking, what they are feeling, because really it's a reminder to us that it's not just us who are here, but we are part of a larger community, a larger movement of Jesus. And so let's take a look at this video together. One of the things that I realized about Craig is that one of his probably his greatest talents is his fashion sense. Because at the first service, my kids were there and they were saying to me over and over again, Dad, you dress like Mr. Springer. You guys are dressed exactly alike. And so, hey, you know what? We're like twins today. And so he's already leading me. He's already elevated me in that sense. Whereas Steve brought me down and then Craig is actually bringing me up today. But hey, this is what I was, one of the things that I love about God is that he brings people together. He brings stories together. People that we didn't even know, communities that we didn't even know about. And he just brings us together and hearts align. And it's so extraordinarily beautiful. And as Craig talked about, and as they were talking about up here, one of the core aspects of who we are as Kensington is that we have always been in 30 plus years, we have always been about the one, the one who is far from Jesus and doing whatever we can to move after and pursue that person. And when you hear Craig and Sarah's story, that is what they have been about as well. And one of the things I've really valued about Craig is watching him be a learner. He is really genuinely stepping in right now going, I wanna learn, I wanna learn Kensington, I wanna learn you, I wanna learn the staff. It'd be very easy in a a high profile position like this for him to just step in and go, I'm gonna tell you everything. Here's the hill we're gonna take, here's what we're gonna do and everybody fall in line and rah, rah, rah. And instead there's this this quiet pause that he's just going, "I, I really genuinely wanna learn. 
the things that he knew about me and how long I'd been here, what my history was, just showed the depth of his level of to want to get to know people, to want to understand where they are in order, I think, to help lead well for this next step in the church. So from me, from the lead pastor of Kensington Clinton Township, I can't tell you how excited I am to run with this person, to run with Craig and on mission for the next things that God has laid up in store for this church. I didn't want an organizational guru. I wanted somebody, I didn't want somebody that just knew how to navigate large organizations or large churches. I wanted somebody who had a heart to follow Jesus. And so to see Craig and to hear his heart and to hear him talk about evangelism and I mean, it's, it's inspiring to me. And it was amazing just to stop and hear the heartbeat of Craig and his wife, Sarah. In their burn, I mean, a genuine, authentic burn to see the one, to see somebody actually that doesn't know Jesus be reached by Jesus, to see our campuses become so in love with Jesus that we realize how loved we are, how much Jesus Christ cares about us, how radically he changes us and transforms us all to go out and reach more. And that part was just, to me, incredible. And so I, I, just, I want you to know my heart. Like, I just felt like it was this answered prayer that we had been hoping for, desiring, and going, God, where are you gonna lead us? And how are you gonna find this person that would fit, not just Kensington's past, but care for it as we move into the future? So I'm sure that we're all excited and we're looking forward to the journey ahead. But at the same time, I know that many of us, probably most of us here, we want to get to know the Springers a little bit better. We may have questions and we want to have conversations. And so really the next step in this process is going to be happening this Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock right in this room. And that we're going to be having a meet and greet greet with Craig and Sarah. And then so we're going to have some fun. We're going to be asking them some questions, putting them on the hot seat. And there'll also be a time where we can have a Q&A where anybody who wants to can text in questions. And so we would love for you to be a part of that this coming Tuesday evening. And something that's important to know that this event will not be streamed, so we will have to be here in person. And so we would love for you to be here this coming Tuesday evening. Also, next week is something that's really, really important because our Kensington bylaws, they state that the decision of the senior pastor is that of the elders and that the elders make this decision, but that decision must be confirmed by the congregation through a vote. And so next weekend, we are going to be having a special meeting for senior pastor candidate approval in the form of a congregational and membership vote. And so it's gonna be happening at all of our services across Kensington, so we would love for you to be a part of that because it will be a very, very important day. But something else that we want to do today and something that I want to challenge all of us to do is to really be praying for the Springers because as you can imagine, they are going through a huge season of transition right now. They're right now in Denver and they're in the process of, they're going to be very much so in the process of hopefully moving to Michigan. And something that I was reminded of this past week is that when my family and I, we moved from Philadelphia to Michigan four and a half years ago, something that I expressed to this community was that I was concerned as to how my oldest daughter would do and that how her transition would be because she had a rough transition into school out in Pennsylvania. And so having to move schools again, I was really concerned, how is it going to be for her? And so many of you, before and after we made that move, came up to me and asked me, how is she doing? Because we've been praying for her. And that spoke volumes to me. And it basically communicated to me that 
We see you and we care. And so we want to be praying for Craig and Sarah, but at the same time, their two children, Isaiah and Isabel, are going to be making this move, of course, as well. And they're saying goodbye to friends and family, and they're saying goodbye to community and home and coming here and going into a brand new school, trying to make brand new friends. And so let's also be praying for them in the coming weeks, but also let's pray for them right now. So would you join me in prayer? So Lord, we thank you for the Springers. And we're so incredibly grateful for them that you have brought their family to Kensington, God. And we are looking forward to this next season of what you have in store for us. But we can imagine, God, for, and so many of us have experienced this, we've experienced having to move, and it's crazy. And having to move across the country is even crazier, God, with everything that entails. And so we pray for Craig and Sarah, and especially for Isaiah and Isabel, Lord, you know their needs, God. You know that they need a home, school for their children, friends for not only for their family, but also especially for Isaiah and Isabel, God. We pray, Lord, that you would provide every single one of those in abundance, Lord, an incredible community for them to be a part of. And so we pray your blessing, we pray your protection, and we are grateful for them. Remind us also to be praying for them. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. And so today, last week, because we introduced Craig uh, and Sarah last week, we pushed pause on the series. And so today, we wanted to pick it up again. And so we are in today, the second week of this series called 12 Hours. And in this series, we're looking at the final 12 hours of Jesus' life. And a lot happened in those last 12 hours. And as I was thinking about what we're going to be talking about today, I was reminded of my college experience. And in college, I had a small, tight-knit group of friends. And in that group, I was the only one who followed Jesus. And my closest friend in that group was a guy by the name of Thomas. And I had an opportunity to share Jesus with this guy on a number of occasions, but he never really seemed all that interested. But what I so appreciated about him was that even though Jesus wasn't important to him, he knew that Jesus was important to me. So every single time I invited him to come to church, this guy showed up and that he loved me in this way. And after college, he went away to grad school and I went to work for a humanitarian organization. And one Christmas, we were both back in Vancouver, so we met up for dinner. And so we had a great time in that we were laughing, reminiscing, just catching, giving updates as to what had been happening in our lives for the past handful of months. And towards the end of that conversation, he shared with me that just recently that his girlfriend had tried to take her own life. And as he was explaining this to me, I could see the pain, the devastation, and the heartbreak in his eyes. And he said to me, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help her. And I don't have much and then he asked me, where do you get your hope? And so that provided me with another opportunity to share Jesus with him and the impact that he had had on my life and the fact that my hope comes from him. And then I prayed for him and his girlfriend. And towards the end of the night, as we were leaving, he turned to me and he said something to me that I will never, ever forget. He said, thank you for listening and thank you for praying tonight you're a lot less judgmental than you used to be. And honestly, initially I was like, what in the world? I just prayed for you. Right? I think I even may have picked up the tab at dinner. But when I was thinking about it, honestly, I wasn't offended because I knew, because we had a deep friendship, because I knew that he meant it as a compliment, not as criticism. But that statement, it got me wondering, 
for all these years, is this how my friends saw me? Did they see me as this judgmental, Jesus-following, Bible-thumping person? And more importantly, is this how they saw Jesus because of me? And back in 2007, the research firm Barna, they did a study among 16 to 29-year-olds, and they found that 87% of young people view Jesus followers as being judgmental. And 85% of young people view Jesus followers as being hypocritical. And 15 years later, the research would suggest that not a whole lot has changed. And Barna did, actually did another study last year. And Craig Springer referenced this in one of our all-staff meetings last week. And they did this study among Generation Z. So we're talking about the next generation. And they found that those in Generation Z are very open to having spiritual conversations. But they just want to have those conversations with someone. And these next three words are so important. With someone who listens without judgment. And so they don't necessarily want to talk to someone who's able to answer all of their intellectual questions. And they definitely don't want to talk to someone who tells them why what they believe is wrong. But someone who listens more than they talk and does so without judging them. And that makes a lot of sense. Because as human beings, we have a tendency to run from people who judge us and run towards those who love us. And Gen Z is really no different. And when we kicked off the series two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that in every week, there would be two sets of images for us to remember and for us to sort of keep an eye on because they would be woven throughout the series and throughout the message. And one set of images would represent the kingdom of this world and the other would represent the kingdom of God. And when Jesus entered into human history, he inaugurated the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God clashed and it collided with the kingdom of this world. And two weeks ago, one of the images that we were presented with was the image of a sword and it represented force and violence, which is the kingdom of this world. And we juxtaposed that with the rope which represents submission and surrender to God, the kingdom of heaven. And so today, the images that we want all of us to keep in mind are right here. It's the gavel as well as the towel and the basin. And for so much of history, unfortunately, those who have been associated with Jesus have been viewed like this, holding this. People who are amazing at rendering judgment upon other people rather than people who choose to take up the towel and the basin, people of humility, people of love, and people of service. But if our goal as a community is to make God known to the world, we have to be willing to let go of this and take hold of this. And when we began the series two weeks ago, we looked at this story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was arrested. And after Jesus was arrested, he was taken away and he was placed in front of the religious leaders in a court-like setting. And when we look at the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew tells us what happened to Jesus after this. And so we're going to read this. And it's a longer passage, but this is the story of what happened to Jesus before this court. And it says, Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and elders had assembled. But Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. And he entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. 
And the chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. And finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. And so the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Messiah, the son of God. And you have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to you, all of you, from now on, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Apparently that was not a good thing to say because then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He's worthy of death, they answered. And then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. And others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? And so the Sanhedrin, that's who Jesus was in front of. The Sanhedrin was a group of 71 men. And we can think of them as sort of like the religious supreme court of Israel at the time. And it was made up of priests and elders and teachers of the law. And it was led by the high priest who at this time was a guy by the name of Caiaphas. And as we just read, these guys, they wanted to kill Jesus because they looked at Jesus and they saw this guy from a small, insignificant, nowhere town called Nazareth. And how they viewed Nazareth is sort of like how we view Ohio, for example, <laughs> right? And there's actually a disciple of Jesus later on, Nathaniel, who famously said, can anything good come from Nazareth? And I know many of you have thought, and some of you have been even bold enough to say, can anything good come from Ohio, right? Am I wrong? No, I'm not, right? And so this was sort of their thinking, right? Jesus, you're from Ohio? Are you kidding me? Right? But he was from Nazareth, this nowhere town. And not to mention, Jesus also didn't graduate from the Harvard or the Yale of the time like the religious leaders. In fact, he was never even trained as a rabbi. But here's this guy with this massive following of people. And all of these people said, we have never heard anyone teach like this guy before. And there were reports of Jesus, him performing miracles and him performing all of these extraordinary acts. And there were even murmurs rumors that he could be the long-awaited Messiah. And so, of course, these religious leaders, put, put yourselves in their position. Of course, they were jealous because they had all of these people following them, and suddenly Jesus busts onto the scene, and all, so many other followers left them to follow him. And they viewed Jesus as a threat, as a threat to the religion that they had built and established, and they wanted to protect at all costs. And that word, religion, is not in itself a bad word, but it's become a dirty word in so many circles. But what religion is, at its core, is a set of beliefs and practices regarding God. And most religions have what are believed to be sacred writings or scriptures that form the basis of their beliefs, that form the basis of their practices. And for the religious leaders back in Jesus's day, the scriptures were the 39 books of what we now call the Old Testament. And the purpose of religion the purpose of religion is to point people towards God, to move people towards him. But if we're not careful, it can do the total opposite. And instead of serving as a bridge, it can act as a barrier. And this is what we see happen with the religious leaders. 
And I've been a U.S. citizen now for almost three years. And my naturalization ceremony actually happened at Comerica Park right before the Detroit Tigers game. And it was such a cool experience in that we were right there on the field. I think we were on the third baseline and there's players that are warming up behind us. And we went through this incredible ceremony with this small group of people. But before I became a U.S. citizen, I was a green card holder for more than a decade. And I will never, ever forget, and Robin and I will never forget the day that I went in for my green card interview. And it was at the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Office in downtown Boston. And so we, Robin and I, we walked into this building and we were waiting in the security line. And in this line, at the, start, at the front of this line, there was one of those yellow strips on the ground. And there was a sign that very clearly said, please stay behind the yellow line. And I think we were second in line. There was one person in front of us. And so we were having a conversation, waiting, looking around, wondering what would happen in the next hour or so. When one of the security guards started screaming at the guy in front of us. And he was screaming at this guy saying, get behind the yellow line. Get behind the yellow line. And when we looked at this guy's foot, he wasn't beyond the yellow line. His foot wasn't even on the yellow line. His toes were maybe barely touching it. I probably could have got a ruler out and measured the number of millimeters his foot was on this line. And but yet this guy is just laying into him. And when we looked at this man's face, he had this expression of fear and shock and he was just frozen in place, not knowing what to do. And so this security guard, seeing that he's not moving, he gets right up in his face and keeps on yelling at him. Don't you understand? Get behind the yellow line. And so finally he took a step back. But this security guard, rather than just letting him go, just kept on coming and he said, why are you here? Right? Do you have an appointment? Because if not, you need to leave right away. Show me your documentation. And if you don't have it, you need to get out of here because you should not be here. And what I was seeing, what I was seeing unfolding in front of me left me absolutely disgusted. Because this man just laying into this guy, and I wish I could, have, I could tell you that, you know what I did? I stood up for this man, but I chose to do nothing because I was afraid of what might happen to me. And as you can imagine, it's really difficult to talk and to even think when someone is like right here screaming at you. And so this guy was trying to get his words out. And as he was talking, we could tell that English wasn't his primary language. But finally, he was able to tell this man, I'm here for a green card interview. Same reason why I was there, because he wanted to become a legal resident of this great nation. But this security guard, rather than choosing to welcome him, help him, come alongside of him, instead he chose to berate him. Because nothing says welcome to America like having someone scream in your face. But this is the thing, as I was thinking about this this past week, what is it about us as human beings that our natural bend is to try to exercise power over rather than choose to come under? And why is our natural inclination to keep people out rather than to invite and welcome them in? Because this is what we see with the religious leaders. Because for centuries, they spent so much time trying to create this complicated spiritual obstacle course, creating all of these rules, regulations, traditions, laws, so that only those with the best education, with the best pedigrees, with the most privileged people like them, because that's who they surrounded themselves with, people like them could make it through this obstacle course. 
And this is what drove Jesus absolutely crazy about them. And when you actually read through the Gospels, what we see is, is that Jesus didn't get angry a whole lot, but he got angry at these religious leaders over and over and over again because what they continually did was that through their actions, through their words, through their lives, they pointed people away from God because the mission that had been given them, given to them as the leaders of Israel was to represent God and to communicate his message to the world but they chose to do the total opposite. And that's why Jesus laid into them so much. And this is why Jesus said words like this to them. And he says in the Gospel of Matthew, he's talking to the religious leaders, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. This was the MO of these religious leaders. But when we actually look at Jesus' life here on this earth, his life and his ministry, it was all about doing the total opposite because Jesus was all about giving greater access to God and the life-transforming relationship that can be experienced when we are connected to him. And we see this when Jesus is growing up, when he was growing up. Remember, this guy, Jesus, he's the king of the universe, but he didn't grow up in a palace behind guards or gates but he grew up in a regular place called Galilee and he was always among the people. Even Jesus' death, which we're gonna remember and celebrate in two weeks, even that provided humanity with greater access to God because for centuries before this time, there was a room in the temple of God called the Holy of Holies and this was where the presence of God resided and only the, whole, only the high priest once a year could enter into this place and to meet with God. Nobody else on this earth could do that. And this room was also separated from the rest of the temple by a curtain. But the moment that Jesus died, this curtain was torn in two. And so the symbol that represented a barrier between humanity and God now became a symbol for access to everyone. And so now it wasn't just the high priest who could enter in. Everyone could come. Greater access. Even the language, even the manner in which God chose to communicate his message to the world communicated greater accessibility because the original language that the New Testament was written in is a language called Koine Greek. And Koine means common. So it wasn't written in a language of the highly educated or the elite or even the original language of the Jews, but rather in a language that everyone, everyone, the masses could understand. And so whereas the religious leaders, they used religion as judgment to judge other people and to really keep people, repel people from God, Jesus, the reason why he came in his entire life on this earth was all about drawing people to him. And he actually said this in the Gospel of John. And Jesus said, for God did not send the Son. He's saying, God didn't send me into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. That it wasn't primarily about judgment, but it was about drawing people to him so that they could ultimately be connected to God and experience what life is truly meant to be. And today we're talking a lot about judgment. And that word is a loaded word. And it could be understood in a lot of different ways in a lot of different circles. And Jesus famously said in the gospels, and he commanded us not to judge others. So what exactly does that mean? 
And what's really important to understand is that there is a difference between exercising judgment and being judgmental. And for all of us, we have to exercise judgment and hopefully good judgment every single day. We have to be able to identify and tell the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. We have to do this as parents. We have to do this as human beings. And this is what's so important. There's nothing wrong with exercising judgment. Absolutely nothing. But exercising judgment is very different than being judgmental. And being judgmental, that's what the religious leaders were guilty of. And that's what drove Jesus absolutely nuts when it came to them. And this is the thing with being judgmental. When When someone is judgmental, it ultimately leads to separation and division between people. And it's harmful for everyone involved. Of course, the person who is being judged, there's condemnation heaped upon that person. But even for the person who is doing the judging, it gives them a false sense of superiority, pride, and even arrogance. That they're somehow up here and that other person is down here. And these thoughts that at least I'm not like that. At least I don't think that. I don't do that. But this is also what's so important to understand about judgment. The presence of judgment almost always guarantees the absence of love because it is virtually impossible to judge someone and to love them at the same time. And if our mission is to see lives transformed by Jesus, we have to understand that when we look back at human history, there have been very few people who have been judged into life change and so many more who have been led by love into it. And so this is what the religious leaders did. This was their MO, in that through the religion that they had created, they hid an obscure God and they shut the door to his kingdom for so many people. But as I mentioned, religion is it's not bad in and of itself, in and of it itself. It's just that we as human beings, in so many ways, we've taken and we've twisted it. Because religion, when it's truly a reflection of who God is, points people towards God and moves people towards him. And so the question that we have to ask is, what is this type of religion? The religion that God desires. And luckily for us, the brother of Jesus, who is named James, he actually tells us in a letter that's found in the New Testament. And this is what he writes. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. And if I had to guess what this type of religion is, because he is saying this is the type of religion that God wants. If I had to guess, it might involve something like going to church and singing Jesus songs, maybe reading the Bible or prayer. But that's not what James says, because he says religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And when James is referencing widows and orphans, what we have to understand is that these were two of the most marginalized and forgotten groups of people back in Jesus's day. And James was using these groups, uh, these two groups of people to represent a larger group of people. Because James isn't saying, hey, you know what? Just worry about orphans and widows and you don't have to care about anybody else. You know, the homeless, the poor, forget about them. Just think about orphans and widows. That's not what he's saying. But rather... He's calling us to be people who have eyes to see, who have, who have feet that move and a heart that cares for people like orphans and widows. 
for the oppressed, for the poor, for the powerless, for those whose society has pushed aside and said, you do not have value, you do not have worth, that we would be people who move towards these people in our world and with the resources, with the power that God has given us, that we would elevate these people. That when we choose to love like that, when we choose to give this up and instead take this on, that what happens is, is that we put the heart of God on display for the world to see. And so what James is saying and ultimately what God is saying is that this is the kind of religion that I desire. This is how I want you to live. And in the church that I grew up in, the pastor is a small church, probably about 60 people. The pastor of my church growing up, I call him the Mother Teresa of Vancouver because he has devoted his, nearly his entire adult life to serving the poor and the homeless in Vancouver. And decades ago, he started this place called Community of Hope. And in the decades since, he has led it every single day, almost every single day, he has been there. And it's in one of the roughest places in Vancouver. But it's a place where people can get a hot meal. They can get clean clothes if they need it. A place where they can be treated with dignity and respect, which doesn't happen a whole lot. And where they can not only hear about the love of Jesus, but even more importantly, that they can experience it. And he is someone who has chosen to give up this, to give up judgment and hypocrisy and to think, and to think that he knows everything and rather to take up this and to live a life of love and service and humility. And I cannot tell you, and I spent quite a bit of time with him when growing up and I would go to this place and I would hang out and I would do what I could, but I cannot tell you the number of people who I saw who would go up to him and ask him, what you have, I want. People who didn't know Jesus, people who otherwise didn't care about Jesus, but they just saw something in this man, this love that was reflected out to the world, the humility that was so countercultural. And they basically said, you know what? What you have, I want, because that is beautiful. And that's the way that I want to live my life. And when James is talking about what is the religion that God desires is to live like this. Because when we do, it impacts the world around us. And just as Jesus did, it draws people, not to us, but it points people towards God. And I've also seen this beauty in this community as well. And just reflecting back on the impact that we have been able to have as a community this past year on people who are broken and hurting in this world. And that I mentioned this last week in that to Ukraine, we were able to raise more than $135,000 to help the people there. And we were able to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars for the people who are fleeing Afghanistan and not just to give money, but also so many people in this community have stepped forward. And as these refugees are coming to Michigan to come alongside of them because they have so many needs, the trauma and the pain that they have, but just coming to a brand new country, especially in winter in Michigan, are you kidding me? I feel bad for them. But just trying to get them clothes, their kids in school, vehicles and licenses, a social security card, jobs, all of these things. I have seen this played out in so many beautiful ways. And so I'm grateful for the way that we as a community, we model this and the open-handedness that I see here as well. And so something else that we wanna to do today is we wanted to receive our offering. 
And there are, and you're gonna see on the side screens, there are a lot of different ways that we can give if we came prepared to give. And the first is by texting the word Kensington to 77977. We can also give via, our, via our, the app or the website, which is how Robin and I give. We can also send in a check here to our physical location at our Troy campus. And for those of us here in the room, at every entrance and every exit, we also have offering boxes where you can place an offering and a gift in there as well. So thank you for your generosity. But going back to the story, what we see today is that Jesus is standing before the Sanhedrin, the 71 men. And we see their anger in the way that they want to kill him in the way that they hate him, in the way that they're so incredibly jealous of him. And by, God, by contrast, Jesus is just simply standing there and he says nothing with his words, but he communicates a very powerful message through his actions and that he was living out what he had taught his followers to do, which is to love his enemies. And what we see in this scene unfolding before us is we see the clashing of two kingdoms. We see the kingdom of this world which is all about judgment and hypocrisy. And we see that clashing with the kingdom of God, which is about humility, which is about love, which is about service. And so this is the question that I wanna ask all of us today, is that what does our religion look like and what we are playing out? Does it look more like this or does it look more like this? Are we more like the religious leaders and that our lives are more so characterized by judgment, where we feel like we're up here and most people are down here, where we feel like we have all the answers. And when we look around at the people who are around us, our friends, our family, our coworker, our neighbors, they just look like us. They just think like us. They just believe like us. Everyone is like us. Or are we living a different life where we have eyes to see and feet that move us and a heart that's so deeply desires to help those who are hurting, those who are oppressed, those who are forgotten in our world. And it's great to try to love people from a distance, but if we're really going to love people, we actually have to be in it. And that's one of the beautiful things. That's what we see. That's what we celebrate at Christmas is that Jesus didn't just love us from afar, but he came in the incarnation and he came into the messiness and the brokenness of who we are. And he loved us close. And so it's wonderful that we can love people from a distance, but what does it actually look like for us to really get in the messiness of life with others? Do we have those people around us? Is that what our religion looks like? And if you're looking for ways to really be able to take that step, we have something fantastic here at Kensington called the Move Out Network. And if you go to our app, if you go to our website, there are so many opportunities to live out the religion that James is talking about the ways to serve orphans and widows and those who have been forgotten in our world. But is this what our religion looks like? Because the best measurement of how close we are to the reality of who God is, is the way that we love. And this is what the apostle Paul wrote in his letter in the New Testament. He said that if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have Love, I am nothing. And it's probably one of those verses that I've read a thousand times when I have officiated weddings. But it's not just important when we're saying I do to our spouse. But these words are so incredibly important. It talks about the primacy and how important and essential love is in our lives. 
But hours before Jesus was standing in front of the Sanhedrin, he was in a place called the upper room. And he was around a table with his disciples and they were about to celebrate, um, uh, they were about to celebrate Passover and to share this meal together. But before Jesus shared this meal with his followers, what he did was that he chose to do something that none of his disciples were willing to do. And that he got up and he took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist. And then he poured some water into a basin and he went around to every single one of his disciples, even Judas, the guy who would betray him to his death. And he showed us what true love, humility, and service looks like, what the true kingdom of God looks like. And then in the greatest act of love in human history, he went to the cross, not only for his disciples, not only for us, but for all of humanity. And it was at this meal that we call the Last Supper that he commanded his followers, do not forget. And so that's what we want to do today. And if you, when you walked in, and for those of you who are watching via stream, it is not too late. I forgot to remind you at the beginning of the service, but you can go to the kitchen right now and grab a piece of bread, grab some juice, because we would love for you to participate with us. But for those of us here in the room, we should have received one of these. And if you did not receive one of these, feel free to put up your hand. And we'd love for you to participate. Ushers, if you could come down, there are especially people right over here who could uh, use one of these. And so as we take this communion, for those of us who have it, this is what we want to invite you to do, is that this top layer, we would love for you to take this off. And what this cracker represents is that it represents the body of Christ, which was broken for us. And so what we want to do right now is that somebody right here as well, and so let's just wait for just 10 more seconds as everyone gets their communion cups. And so if you want to take off the first layer and take the cracker, and the cracker represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And let's remember and let's take and eat together. And then if you open the second layer, it gives us the juice. And the juice represents the blood of Jesus, which was spilled for us, that we would remember that we would honor his sacrifice today. Let's take and drink. And so would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you, Lord, that in your death, and in your resurrection, you modeled what your kingdom is truly all about. It is not about judgment. It is not about hypocrisy, but it is about humility and service and ultimately love. And as you have modeled this for us, Lord, we pray that we would be these people as well. People who have the courage to be able to live like this, God. And not people like the religious leaders who repel people from you, but truly point people to you, Lord. When you provide us with those opportunities, help us to step into them, God. Thank you, Lord. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. And so what we want to do is we wanted to end our time together through singing just a song and the chorus of one song, and then we're going to be led into another song. And this, these songs, they invite us to turn our eyes to Jesus. And that's really what pure religion, that is a reflection of Jesus, that is what it does. It points us to him and it reminds us to turn our eyes 
to him. So let's take these words in together. invite you guys to stand and sing with us for this last song.
stand strong and worship you and if it puts me through the fire i'll rejoice because you're there too oh i won't be for my feelings i hold fast to what is true and if the cross brings transformation you can't hang me there with you desire as we leave today that Christ would be magnified as we go and visit family, as we're with friends, and tomorrow as we go to work and school and all of that, in all of these places, amongst all these people, that Jesus would be magnified in our life and ultimately be pointing people to him as we've been talking about today. But hey, a couple things I want to mention before we conclude is our, our prayer team will be down front for anyone who would like to receive prayer. And if you are somebody who is newer or have questions about our community, we'd love for you to drop by the hub out in the lobby as well. But thank you for being here. Thanks so much for streaming, everyone. Have a great rest of your Sunday. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.